All right, good morning. Happy New Year to you. All right, I love it. Some enthusiasm. Whoa, I can see. All right, um, we are starting today in a new series. Um, we're going through the book of Genesis, 50 chapters. So if we cover a chapter a week, oh my gosh. This is going to be a long series. So um, it is going to be fun, but um, as we go through it, we're also going to occasionally do something um, different, and that is we're going to take questions and try to answer some, okay? And so if you have questions as we go through Genesis, you can email us at questions at rollinghills.org, all right? And that is, uh, you know, and that's focusing on Genesis, not like everything, but just, you know, our study on Genesis. And so uh, feel free to do that, and then occasionally Aaron will teach and answer those questions. All right, so... Um, where is he? Over there somewhere. Oh, yeah. Uh, anyway, here we go. We, we, um, Genesis is the book of basics. By the way, very first book of the Bible, all right? So if you've always said, I don't want to bring my Bible because he's going to have us turn somewhere and I don't know where it is, this is your series, okay? <laughs> very first book, man. You open it, just find that, and there you go. So bring your Bibles. This is going to be a great series to... Um, Take notes in your Bible, you know, put down thoughts, learnings. And uh, so if you ever go back to that passage, you will have some um, good stuff to help you understand it. So we're going to go through um, this book together. And it's really the book of basics. It's, it's foundational truths. It's the book of beginnings. And so it, it lays down some initial truths that are expanded upon throughout the rest of the Bible, all right? So it, it gives us basic understanding of who's God, who are we, um, what's this world that's, you know, is, is beautiful and at the same time messed up? I mean, how did it all, you know, so it gives us some basic understandings of those foundational truths. The book of Genesis is quoted or referred to 200 times, over 200 times in the New Testament. All right, so sometimes we think, okay, you know, the Old Testament's old, and so why do we study it? We want new, we want the New Testament. Um, but the truth is, God is the same in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, as he is in the New Testament. Um, and, and we get mixed up with that. And so as we go through Genesis, we're gonna see the grace and the mercy of God. Because sometimes we think in the Old Testament, God was judged, in the New Testament, God got nice. And that's not true. He was the same God through the whole Bible. And so we're going to, even today, start seeing a picture of God that is um, more holistic. And so um, as New Testament followers of Jesus, um, the book of Genesis is critical for us. Um, it's the first book of the Bible. It has 50 chapters. It is the first book of the Torah. Okay, so if you've heard of that, um, that is, uh, the Jewish religion has, uh, refers to the Torah, and primarily they refer to Torah as the first five books of the Bible. All right, first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. All right, that's the Torah. Some people today, that if you talk to about the Torah, they will expand that to the oral traditions and teachings of the Jewish faith. But in its truest sense, it's the first five books of the Bible, also known as the Pentateuch, 
all right, which is Greek for five books, all right? So Pentateuch, Torah, same thing, all right? First five books of the Bible. Who wrote it? Um, Throughout history, it hasn't been hotly debated because it has always been attributed to Moses, okay? That Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. In addition to the um, wealth of evidence from um, historical belief, also, Jesus believed that Moses wrote the first five books of the Bible. Mark chapter 12, verse 26. And as for the dead being raised, this is Jesus speaking, have you not read in the book of Moses? The book of Moses, what would that be? That's the Torah, all right? In the book of Moses, in the passage about the bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And so Jesus is referring to the Torah as the book that, the books that Moses wrote. In Luke chapter 24, after Jesus died, rose from the dead, is walking on a road to Emmaus, he meets up with some, some men who are followers of God who are believing that Jesus was the Messiah and they don't recognize Jesus. And so they're talking to Jesus and you know, we're so confused. And I, I can totally see that being me. I'm just not super observant. You know, it's like you're at a restaurant and, and they say, hey, fly down our waitress. And it's like, well, what does she look like? I don't know. I mean, she took my order and stuff, but I didn't really look at her. I mean, it's a bad thing. I'm just not that observant. But I would be that guy on the road to Emmaus talking to Jesus and being clueless that I'm talking to Jesus. But they're talking to him, and they're saying, these are our concerns about what's going on right now. We don't understand it. And it says, Jesus taught them, starting in the book of Moses and the prophets. And so Jesus, again, is referring to um, I believe the, the, the Torah there in saying this is attributed to Moses. Okay, so when did Moses write it? Um, and this starts getting interesting to me because you start getting the background of when he wrote it and why he wrote it. And then as you start reading it, some things make sense that wouldn't have if you wouldn't have known the context. So Moses wrote Genesis and the Torah while they were in the desert. Okay, so if you remember, Moses was used by God to free the Israelites from being held captive as slaves in Egypt. And they had been slaves for 400 years. And God uses Moses to help leave them, um, lead them out of captivity. And so they leave Egypt and they're going to the promised land. Okay, that had been for hundreds of years promised to the descendants of Abraham. They're going to the promised land. It should take a year, but it takes 40 years. Why does it take 40 years? Because God stops them from going in because of their lack of faith in God. And he says, okay, I need to teach you a lesson here. God redeems that 40 years in, in desert in giving time for Moses to write the Torah, giving time for Moses to write the book of Genesis, okay? So it was about 1500 BC. Um, you know, for me, when I read about these different characters in the Bible, it's like, okay, when did they happen? Well, these are historical events. Um, Abraham is about 2000 BC, Moses, 1500 BC, David, um, 1000 BC. All right. And so those three people are significant people in the old Testament and they helped me kind of put a chronological 
chronological like signposts for me, okay? 2000 BC, Abraham, 1500 Moses, 1000 David, all right? So he wrote around 1500 BC. He's in the desert and, um, and he's recording and writing these things down. And so what he's doing is he's taking um, resources, historical resources that have already been written or oral tradition that has been passed down through the generations and he's taking those resources from previous generations and being um, inspired by the Holy Spirit is putting them together in a way that is reflecting the story of God, okay? And so that is what Moses is doing around 1500 in the desert um, while they're wandering, waiting to enter the promised land. Why did he do it? Why did he do it? Exodus 12, 37, 38 gives us a clue. And the people of Israel journeyed from Ramesses to Succoth, about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. A mixed multitude also went with them, and very much livestock, both flocks and herds. And so here you have descendants of Abraham who have been in captivity in Egypt, but then you have a mixed multitude, so a bunch of other people, okay, so Gentiles, um, different ethnicities, different races, um, different uh, backgrounds. So they're Gentiles who are choosing to believe in God. And so they are traveling with the descendants of Abraham that believe in God. All right, so a big mixed group of people are now traveling on the way to the promised land. And so Moses begins recording things. And what he's doing is he's saying, um, you just spent 400 years in Egypt under um, a pagan worship, under beliefs in all kinds of different gods, in, in sacrifices, in worldviews that are unique and different, and they're not the one that God has revealed to us. And so I need to um, help you overcome lies that you've been believing about God, yourself, and others. And so I need to start filling that with truth and building up, reminding you how good God is and why he's trustworthy. Because we're also going into Canaan, the promised land. And um, back in 1928 or so, the, there was this whole library of ancient manuscripts that were unearthed that were called the Ugaritic texts. And um, it, it goes back to like 1600 BC. And in those texts, um, it writes about Canaan. And one of the things it writes about is their system of beliefs. And it's crazy. And so Moses is going, you came out of all these lies. You're going into a land of lies. And so let me um, record for you what God says about himself, what he says about us, what he says about the world around us. And so he's... He's responding, he's correcting lies, and he's giving them, okay, here is truth. And this is really important for us um, to know because um, Genesis, as we get into Genesis, especially the beginning, the creation story of Genesis, we just jump into, okay, how did he do it? How did Jesus, or how did God create? I mean, was it literal 24-hour days? Was it you know, a 24-hour day and then an unknown you know, 
amount of time, you know, how, 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 and we fight over the how. And I want you to know, it's with, with all my heart, and most theologians believe this, Genesis 1, the main thing is not about the how. It's about the who and the why. See, Moses is saying, I want to introduce you to your God, your creator, and why he created us. And so that gives us hope. If we have a clear vision of who God is, who we are, and what's happening in the world, we have hope. If we lose vision on who God is, our hope evaporates. And so throughout our study, as we go through Genesis, we're going to be pulling out insights about what is this teaching us about God? What is this teaching us about you and those around you? And what is this teaching us about the world? And so it's going to be answering questions like about God is um, what's God really like? What's his character? What has he done? What's he doing? What has he promised us? And what are the distortions about God that we get sucked into that need to be corrected? And so that, that's Genesis help us, is, is helping us answer those questions. About humanity is, is who are we? Are we an accident? Were we created intentionally? Are we of value? Do we have purpose and meaning in life? Is there life after this one? Am I temporary? Or am I eternal? And what is, what is my responsibility in this life? And what does community look like? And how does God want me to function in this? All of that, um, God begins unpacking in Genesis. And then finally, is what is the world? I mean, how did we get here? How was the world formed? Um, what's wrong with it? I mean, look around the world, we go, okay, I mean, it's beautiful. I mean, you look at our planet and you look at the rest of the planets and you go, I like ours. It's beautiful. And so how can it be so beautiful and so messed up at the same time? And is there hope? Can it be fixed? What is that hope? Where do we find it? So that's what we're going to be unpacking. And that's what Moses is communicating to us as we get into the book of Genesis. And so Genesis chapter one, we're gonna be focusing on today, just the very beginning of it. And we're, and, and we're gonna look at the main thing. And the main thing is, what is this telling us about God and us and the world? I mean, that's what he's communicating. He's communicating the who, who created the heavens and the earth, and the why, why it was created, and a secondary issue, not the main issue, is the how. And we get all lost in the how. And we miss the main points that, that, that Moses is communicating and that God is communicating through Moses in Genesis. So Genesis chapter 1, I want you to know that, that it is um, a polemic. All right, That is an argument against other concepts of reality. And so it is saying, here's what's really true. And in the process, you're correcting um, misunderstandings about reality. And so it, it lays out, it begins to lay out and reframe who God is, who we are, 
in what our world is. All right, here we go. Genesis 1, verse 1. And right out of the gate, our focus is on the main thing. In the beginning, God. First four words of the entire Bible gets our focus on the right thing. God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so here's the first thing that, um, that there's so many truths that we, I, I had a list of all the things in Genesis 1, and I wasn't, it wasn't exhaustive. It was just a list that I was thinking of. And it was, you know, it, I, like 12 things that here's some things this is saying about God. And so we're not going to hit all those things. We're going to hit about four or five of them today, okay? Main truths that Moses is communicating it to us um, regarding creation and how, we're, how we are to understand and see God in ourselves and the world around us. Genesis is declaring God as the creator. This is a huge thing. This is, this is different than other worldviews, ancient worldviews, modern worldviews. Um, how he created, we're going to talk a little bit about that next week. But as we talk about it, I'm going to give you different theories, and all those theories are going to be under creation. All right? That there are people who approach the Bible like, like I do, who believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. It reveals truth to us. Um, people who step into that and say, how did God do it? They disagree. And it's not just because, hey, it's a recent thing because evolution happened, so now that's you know, messing with people's minds. No, they disagreed from ages, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years, there's been disagreements regarding what is Genesis 1 saying about how God did it? And I think one of the reasons there's so many disagreements about it is because it's not the main thing. God's intent, I do not believe, was to tell us exactly how he did it. But it's to tell us something about himself that we need to know in order to have a clear view of ourselves, the world, and the hope that he's bringing. And so... We want to focus, the main thing is going to be the main thing. And next week we'll get into some of the theories. Um, but it's all in the umbrella of the main thing being the main thing. Okay. So God created. God created. Emphasis on God. So before creation was God. God existed before creation. In creation, you have time being created. So God existed before time. How long did God exist? Eternally, God exists. This Genesis 1-1 really is a nice a match to Exodus 3, where Moses says, um, what should I call you to God? And who should I say is sending me? And God says, tell him I am has sent you. It's the to be ver verb in Hebrew, and it simply means I am. I am now, I always was, I always will be. I am self-existent. I am dependent upon nothing to create me or to sustain me. I'm self-sustaining in and of myself. And so this is one of those things that as you get into this, you're starting to think, oh, this starts to hurt my brain. Let me tell you why it hurts our brain. <clears throat> um, because this week, as I've jumped into this, um, my primary thought was, why did I think Genesis was a good idea to teach? Um, <clears throat> because it, it takes us into so many truths that, that are really beyond me. Um, and so remember this. Why are they beyond us? 
because we have a God who's beyond us. God wants to be known by us and he's communicating himself to us, but there's great limitations placed on him explaining himself to us. What are those limitations? Us. Our limited, finite ability to understand. And so God says, I am unlimited, I'm infinite, I'm eternal, and I want to explain my, um, all of me to a finite being, a being with limited understanding. Limited understanding, now I gotta do that through a language they can understand. So I'm restricting my ability to communicate and be known through my pea brain and um, a language that I understand and my experiences, my life experiences, so that God's gonna use those to relate himself to me, and yet those experiences and that language is so limiting that, that I can't fully understand God because he's beyond that. By the way, that's called anthropomorphism. It's when you try to use human language to explain something that's not human, all right? So God is explaining himself as unlimited, eternal, self-existent to us that, that ultimately that gives us a headache. And so you following that? I mean, throughout the Bible, that is true, and that is a challenge for us to grasp the magnitude and the beauty and the greatness of God. So he's self-existent, always existent, dependent upon nothing outside himself. All right? And so then it says, um, so then that also means <clears throat> that God is not part of creation because God always existed before creation. And so that means creation is not part of God. And so when we say, hey, I look at that tree and I see God. Well, it could point you to God, but it's not God. And so right out of the gate, we're, we're pantheism is saying, nope, not right. Okay, God is not everything. Everything is not, a, is not God. All of creation is created by God and God is distinct from it. All right, following that? Okay, um, the word created, God created the heavens and the earth. It's, it's bara, it, it, um, the way that it's used is it has a stem called the cow stem in the Hebrew language. Whenever that happens with that word created, it, it is referring to what God creates, okay? It's a unique use of that word referring to God's doing something that only he can do. He's creating in a way that we can't create. When I create, I take pieces of other stuff and I put them together and I create something new, all right? When God creates, he doesn't need the pieces. He doesn't need the other stuff. He says, let there be light, and there was light. He speaks into existence things that didn't exist before. And so in that sense, matter is not eternal. But God spoke matter into existence. Okay, so God is outside of his creation, He's greater than his creation, and, he's, and he creates in a unique way, unique only to God. And this, the theological term for this is ex nihilo, and it, it, it's a Latin phrase, and it means out of nothing he created. He created something out of nothing, all right? And so 
that's a unique thing that, that our great God um, put in motion when he began to create the heavens and the earth. Okay, he created ex nihilo. He did something that we cannot do. Now this out of the gate is, is correcting wrongs. It's correcting ancient myths. Myths that um, the people that um, Moses is writing for in the desert were, were steeped in um, ancient mythology regarding the creation of the world and the creation of humanity. And, and it typically went like this. It was is the gods were fighting and one of the gods was slain and his blood was spilt and out of his blood came humanity. You know, it's kind of like we're a bunch of maggots. You know, I mean, it, and that's the picture of... Uh, or the universe was created and earth was created because there was a great dragon and this dragon was slain and out of um, his slaughtered body uh, was formed the stars and the sky and the earth and all things. And so there's these ancient myths trying to explain the creation that we see around us in ourselves and, and they're explaining what the ancient myths. By the way, those ancient myths had one thing in common, and that is um, we were an afterthought. We were not intentionally designed. We were, we were the result of some catastrophe or some war that happened, and it resulted in, hum it in humanity. It was an accident. Now, it also corrects um, modern myths. And a modern myth, according to the Bible, is... Um, Matter is all we have. I mean, this world and the things of this world is all we have, the material world. And we're not sure how we got there. We're putting together some theories, but we're not sure. But at the end of the day, we are a cosmic accident and everything around us is part of that cosmic accident. And so the best we have is just the Get the best out of the material around you that you can have to make a good life. And that's our greatest hope. And, and that's, that's materialism, isn't it? I mean, that's ultimately what that is. Uh, it, it's saying the creation around us is, is all there is. And so my greatest hope of being fulfilled, the purpose and meaning and value in life is to get the most out of it I can. Because that's it. And God's saying, no, that's not it. Before all that stuff, there's God. And so that's where you get your meaning and purpose. That's where you get your value. Um, not in the stuff around you. Although the stuff around you is to be enjoyed, is to point to a God, that, that God, there is a God, there's something bigger than myself. I mean, I mean you, you, just, you know, there's articles on DNA now that says, you know, I think it's a language. And... and and it's like, okay, well then, language, that, there's intelligence behind language, and how, who, whose language is it? And, and I mean, it, it points us. I think creation points us to God. It's not enough by itself, but it reflects God. It reflects his beauty, um, uh, his majesty, his creativity. And so God says, hey, this is to be enjoyed by you. It, it, it's to be um, enjoyed, valued, but not worshiped because it's just a reflection of the creator. Creator is worth worshiping, not the stuff that the creator makes. And this speaks to all kinds of like ancient 
um, beliefs because they, they um, and still today, people worship the sun, they worship the moon, they worship the stars, they worship land, they worship water. Um, that is all a form of materialism. That is all a form of saying, this is what we got, this is my hope is in that. And um, it's like we are to admire it, but we don't worship it because there's a God behind it all who is, who is worthy of our worship, all right? So that's the first thing. Genesis 1, 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Okay, so now we have God in verse 1, Elohim. It's a big, majestic name for God, uh, uh, probably the most, the most common name for God. And then it says Spirit of God. Okay, and so what we start getting introduced to here is the triune God, all right? And, and we're getting a glimpse of it right out of the gate, that there's one God made up of three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all right? And so um, here is my thought that I'm pulling out of this, is Genesis 1 says creation is free, is the free personal act of the triune God. Not something he had to do, not something he was forced to do, not something he needed because he was lacking, but God chose to say, I wanna do this. I wanna do this creation, we'll talk about why in a second. But the triune, but it being a triune God gives us insight into this. Now, in Acts 4, 24, it says, God the creator is God the Father. And here in Genesis chapter one, we see the spirit of God was hovering over, which is cool because it, that, that's not like a um, impersonal thing. It's the Holy Spirit's being personified here to be, I, I'm hovering over like a bird hovers over its chicks. Okay, that there's care and intent in that hovering. And so there, there's a personal God who is overseeing the creation and the Holy Spirit was a part of that. Acts 4.24 says God the Father was part of that. John 1.1 1, 1 says Jesus was a part of that. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. How did God create? He spoke a word. He said, let there be light, there was light. So we're saying, okay, spoken word of God had power. Um, but now it's saying there's something else about this word. And the Word was God. Okay, so now the Word's becoming personified as God, he was the, in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. Okay, so this word is God. And without him was not anything made that was made. Now, jump down to verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Who was that word? That word was Jesus. And so it's saying God the Father was part of creation, God the Holy Spirit was part of the creation, and God the Son was part of creation. So why is that important? Uh, later in Genesis chapter one, verse 26, it says when he's making humanity, it says, um, let us make God in our image, or make man. Let us make humanity in our image, okay? Speaking of God, but using plural. Why? Because one God, three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. What does that teach us about God? That teaches us about God, that God was not lonely. God did not create the heavens and the earth and humanity because I've existed for eternity past all by myself. 
Now, God had existed in, per, in eternity past in relationship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They were in perfect loving relationship who honored and valued one another and they were fulfilled within their community. And so why did he create? Why did God create? God didn't create out of need. God didn't create out of want. God created because I want to expand this community. I, I want to create a place that reflects our love and our care and our harmony with one another. And I wanna create a humanity so they can experience us. So creation is about you and I being able to experience the love and the harmony and the community of life with God. That's why as we'll look at this, as we look at creation, it's really a picture of creating this world and this universe, which is just basically a tabernacle for us to worship and be with God and experience his presence. In Genesis chapter 12, when um, God says, part of my redemptive plan now is I'm not gonna focus um, the rest of Genesis on all of the different peoples of the world, but I'm gonna focus on this one family. And I am going to offer hope to all people through this one family. And this is the family of Abraham. And here's my covenant to you, Abraham, is you will be my people and I will be your God and I will dwell with you. What is that? That's a statement of his original intent in Genesis chapter one. That's, we were made for a purpose. We are not a cosmic accident. The God of the universe decided to make us in this beautiful place, which would be a beautiful environment for us to have a relationship with him, enjoy him in his presence, and, and, and to know him, and for him to be with us. That's what's going on here, and, and he didn't need it, because he had been in community, but his love in that community says, I want other people to be able, I want others to be able to um, experience this. So the ultimate goal of creation is for humanity to dwell and enjoy God, to dwell with and enjoy God. Genesis says creation is under God's sovereign authority as king and judge. Creation is under God's sovereign authority as king and judge, all of creation, okay? It says God created the heavens and the earth. That's called a merism. Um, it's, it's not like, okay, God just created uh, the sky and the earth, those two things. Now saying the heavens referring to all of the, the universe and the earth itself, those two things, so this, this imminent personal place that we're at in this huge um, universe. And so it's, it's, it's a merism that's using two extreme ends to uh, cover the totality, all right? And so um, if you're married, you probably stated merisms in your wedding vows, okay? I will stay committed to you and I will love you for better or for worse, for richer or poorer. Now that's not saying, hey, I'm committed to you and I love you if we're rich or if we're poor. If we're middle class, I'm out. And it's not saying that. It's saying, hey, if we are wealthy or we have nothing, I, and everything in between, I am, I am with you. I'm committed to you. Okay, that's a merism. It's two extremes to, to explain everything in between. 
all right? Heaven and earth, that's what that is. It's, it's God created the heavens and the earth. God created everything. God created it all, all right? Matter did not exist before God created. And so that's, that's what that's saying. Okay, now as creator of all, all fall under his rule. All fall under his authority. All is less than him. Created things, uncreated thing. Creator, all right? So now we're gonna look at another passage of scripture that speaks to creation, okay? So it's outside of Genesis, but we interpret the Bible by allowing the Bible to interpret the Bible. And this is not a new you know, thing that just applies to the Bible. Any book that you read, you're reading chapter seven, um, you're gonna understand chapter seven by understanding what happened in chapters one through six, okay? That gives you context which is needed to understand chapter seven. The Bible's the same way. We, we look at the Bible and it, and it gives us some information and then we look at other parts of the Bible and it gives us more information about it. So Colossians 1, 16 and 17. For by him all things were created, okay, that's Genesis 1, 1, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions, or rulers or authorities. That means who's, who who's, has authority in this creation? All right, let's talk about humans and and um, other people have dominion over different parts of his creation. All things, all things were created through him and for him. All right? It is all under his rule. It is all under his authority. As we get into Genesis chapter 2, we're going to find out that he actually establishes some, some guidelines for us to flourish within his creation. Okay? In Genesis chapter 3, we're gonna find out that humanity rebelled against those guidelines, and there were consequences for it. All right, but he said, this is what I'm creating, this is why I'm creating, this is how you'll flourish within it, and how the intent and purpose of this creation can be realized in your life, and then there are consequences for walking away from that. And so God is king, he's the authority over all, and yet he's also, um, judge. He's saying, I created you for a purpose. Walk within that purpose. And as soon as you walk away from that purpose, there are consequences to that. You will not enjoy the relationship in the community in which I created you to enjoy. And so there's, he's a righteous judge. Everything he does is good. Everything he does is right. But because he demands justice, he's a just God, and we all like justice, don't we? I mean, ultimately, when we see injustice happens, it makes us mad, and I think that's part of the image of God that God put in us, is reflecting him, and so he's a just God, and there's consequences to not follow him. By the way, this paves the way for the gospel, doesn't it? Because ultimately the story of God is we're seeing the beginning of it here, but as we rebel against him, the rest of the Bible is God's redemptive story. Where he does, he, he's, not, he's not a theist. He doesn't just sit back and say, okay, I made this, you blew it, good luck. No, he says, um, you blew it and I love you and I wanna, I wanna give you a chance to be recreated, reclaimed into this relationship that I made you for. And, and you can't do it on your own. And so I'll make a way. I'll do it for you. 
And so the Bible is God's story, God's redemptive plan. It's beautiful, it's full of hope, but we need to have a clear understanding of God, ourselves, and the world around us. And then that gives us um, the hope that only become, that only is there by being connected um, to the one true God. Verse 17 of Colossians chapter one says, and he is before all things, that's talking about his, his kingdom, he, he's the ruler of all, and in him all things hold together. So he's the ruler and he's the sustainer. Um, Hebrews 1.3 says, he is the radiance of the glory of God. Now this is talking about Jesus. So God the Son is the radiance of the glory of God because he's God. He's, and the exact imprint of his nature because he's God. And he upholds the universe by his word and by his power. Okay, God the creator, Jesus is part of the Godhead. Jesus is holding it together by his power. So he's sustaining it, he's actively involved in it. And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And, and so here we have a picture of the care, the ongoing care of God for his creation. And, and the ultimate example of that is God the Son dying on the cross for you and I to pay for the consequences of walking out from under God's plan for our lives. And he's paying for the consequences for so we don't have to, so that if we trust in what he did, we can be reclaimed, we can be forgiven, we can be brought in and recreated into the people that God wants us to be in the relationship that he wants us to have. That's the beauty of our God. In creation, we see a majestic, powerful, creative, awesome God who was king, who is a righteous judge and a merciful savior. Both those things are true of God all the time. He's a righteous judge and he's a merciful savior. In the beginning, God, man, four words, so much packed in those words about who God is, who we are, what the world is around us, how did it get here and why? And what's our hope? So the question, just as we launch into this, is what is this doing to your view of God? Your view of God. How big is your God? You know, science says right now that we can look through telescopes and as far as we can see, which there's more out there, but this created universe, we can see 46.5 billion light years. That's how far we can see so far. That's massive. That's massive. And God says, before all that was him. And he spoke it into existence. How it all happened, not sure. We'll talk about that a little bit next week but it came from a God who made a choice that he wanted to be in, in relationship with you and I so that we can enjoy the beauty and the wonder of being in relationship with the one true God. That's powerful. That's the main stuff of creation. 
That's who it's about and why he did it. That reorients our thinking. That, that reorients self-esteem for me. Um, I make, make people mad that I like and I love and I want them to like me. But ultimately, if they reject me, I am who I am, created by God, loved by God, created for a purpose. I am of value to God, and I'm being pursued and cared for by God. That's who I am. That is, that's bulletproof. There's a lot of other things we look for for esteem. I mean, am I in shape? How do I look? Am I successful? What kind of, what kind of stuff do I have? Who are my friends? All those things ultimately can fall apart for me and it doesn't touch who I am. I'm loved, created, intentionally made by God for a purpose, to be in relationship with him, to be in harmony with people around me, to reflect him in those relationships, and that's who I am. You know, the world around us is, um, is beautiful and God created it. And so, going back to the greatness of God and, and how big is my God, um, if we're getting our minds about who, around who God is and who he is as creator, then the question is, do you trust him? Do you trust him with your stuff? Do you trust him with your relationships? Do you trust following him when you're thinking, I, I don't wanna do it? Will you surrender to him? See, that, that's understanding who God is, creator of all, overall, king of all, beyond us, and will you submit to him? The beauty of creation points to him. I love being outdoors. I, I love the silence of it. I love looking around and seeing it, and it points me to God, but it's limited. It points me to him, but it doesn't take me to him. Because in my life, I have chosen to be king of my life. And that's what happens in Genesis chapter three. Humanity decides, I think I'll be a better king than God, my creator. And so we place ourselves in that place. We make ourselves God. So I think I know what's best for me. I think I know how to live. I'm gonna ignore your, your guidelines for how can we flourish in a relationship we're intended to have. And that separates me from God. I'm at odds with God. And yet a merciful God says, I will become man and I will be isolated. I will be rejected. And I will take on the consequences of sin so you don't have to. And that's our hope. We have a great God, amazing God, powerful God but a God who's not theistic, a God who, not, who does not make things and let things go on their own, but a God who continually pursues and has made a way for us to be reclaimed and reconnected to him. And in your journey, um, as we close, um, is, is it time for you to turn back to your maker and say, ultimately, things that I'm chasing to bring fulfillment and our purpose and meaning and value in my life those are chasing the stuff of creation. 
And I'm realizing today I need to chase the creator. And he's made a way for me to be reclaimed and forgiven and brought back into that relationship that he created me to have. And if that's where you're at in your journey, then let's just um, make that known to God and make this the day that you face God, your creator, and you acknowledge who he is and, uh, and seek what he's done for you for your forgiveness. So let's bow our heads. And if that's where you're at, you might pray something like this. God, I, uh, um, I know you're God and I know I'm not. And yet, um, many times in my life, I've acted as if I'm, I'm the God of my life. And that has taken me away from you. And so I ask for your forgiveness. And I trust in what you have done for me in taking on the consequences of sin so I won't have to. And so I ask you to bring me in relationship with you and help and begin to recreate me into the person you intended me to be. And it's in your son's name, Jesus Christ, that I pray, amen. If you prayed with me this morning and you are in this room, then as soon as we're done, I'm gonna ask you to do one thing. It'll just take a few seconds. It's not threatening at all, but just, just go out to the middle section out there um, to the stations out those middle doors or stations in the middle. Just let them know, hey, I prayed with Bill today. And, and they'll give you some information that now as you begin this new journey with God into the relationship that you're intended to have with him, how, how can you begin growing that relationship? And we'll give you some, some just quick um, information that gives you some practical steps in that journey that will help you along. If you're watching online and, uh, and you made that decision today, um, go to rollinghills.org um, slash next steps and put your information down there. Let us, let us know that you made that decision today and we will send that information um, to you. I think it's gonna help you in your journey. You know, one of the things that Jesus said is, um, I am pursuing you and I love you and I'm making a way to do something that you can't do on your own for you to be reconnected to the God that, that created you. And that is by dying on the cross for our sins. And he said, I want you to, on a regular basis, do some, something that will symbolically reconnect you to what I've done for you. And in the story of God today, we're gonna to take communion. And as we take communion, it gives us a bigger picture of why Jesus did what he did to help reclaim us to the original plan of why we were created to be in relationship with God. And so, the bread represents Jesus' body, which was broken for us. The blood, or the juice represents the blood that was spilt for us as he sacrificed himself on our behalf. And so as we continue to worship, there are tables up front. There are on the sides as well, on the sides as well, and then in the back. And so wherever you're closest to, you can make your way to that. There's two cups that are stacked. On the bottom is, is the cracker, on the top is the juice. Take it back to your seat, and then when you're ready, I mean, take a moment to connect to the goodness of God and what he's done for you. And as you do that, then take the bread and the cup in remembrance of Jesus and what he's done. So we're gonna do that as we continue to worship.